You are listening to you are listening to Passing Shots with Pete Zebron on the Pro Ten Radio Network, a production of Pro Ten Global Sports. Enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome to Passing Shots on the Pro 10 Radio Network. Today is Thursday, February 26th, 2015. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen joined this evening by Stephanie Neppel of I Have a Tennis Addiction. Welcome this evening, Stephanie. Thanks, Pete. Glad to be here for our fourth show. Indeed, and third consecutive week in a row where the WTA draw is absolutely loaded. We had a, a beauty of a tournament in Antwerp a couple weeks ago, last week in Dubai, and this week in Doha. Uh, we did have Simona Halla pull out uh, after winning last week in Dubai. And uh, your thoughts on uh, the champion that uh, has a little bit of a history of uh, winning a title and then not, uh, not necessarily coming to answer the bell the next week at a big tournament. We know Halep's a top player when she gets criticized for pretty much breathing, but, you know, she has had a little bit of a history of winning a tournament, pulling out the next or vice versa. But in this respect, I mean, she she came into Doha, or sorry, Dubai, with a little bit of rib pain. There was actually speculation that, you know, the rumor mongers that she might pull out. But she obviously won in Dubai, and then I think a smart move on her part to play Dubai and Doha and then basically go into, you know, Indian Wells and Miami. It's just a lot of tennis, and, you know, when you win a lot, you play a lot, which means you just don't get those breaks, which, she, you know, she really does need if she's going to keep contending. So in this, I'll give her a slide on this one. I think that was a good move for her to pull out and, and well-deserved after a really good run, um, you know, really good win for her in Dubai. I agree, and uh, you know that already. It's only late February, but a lot of tennis has been played. We've seen that a little bit with uh, Pliskova with uh, deep runs the last two weeks. Obviously, uh, had a, a loss, uh, maybe a little unexpected this week, but at the same point in time, playing three consecutive weeks, uh, I get that. Maybe Simona, obviously, she knows what's happening uh, in her world with respect to her game and uh, physically what uh, she's able to to do. I, I, I agree with you. I'll give her a pass on this one as well. And uh, someone who is advancing nicely through the draw, a wild card in this tournament stuff, Victoria Azarenka, very impressive first-round win over the number eight seed, Angelique Kerber, 11-3. Followed that up with a tussle uh, against Fidelina, got that, got through that in three, and then um, took out uh, Caroline Wozniacki today to set up a, a very interesting semifinal with Venus Williams. But, uh, again, uh, with respect to the fact that Azarenka – uh, was on the shelf for so long, uh, even if she does very well here, she's still going to uh, not be, well, might be seated going forward, but uh, a, a dangerous floater, as we say. And your thoughts on uh, Vika's performance so far this week? Well, since we didn't see, we haven't seen her since Melbourne, and obviously we've had the, the off-court intrigue with her coaching change, and so she is in Doha with Wim Fassett. Um She spoke a little bit about him and said she thinks their personality Sorry, their personalities are matching up well, which is a good sign early on, and she's hoping that that partnership continues. But, uh, you know, Kerber, we could talk about her separately. She's obviously not having a, a great start to 2015, but 0-3 and three win over um, Kerber is a pretty dominant win for Dominica. And, yeah, that match with uh, 
Svitolina was fantastic. You know, she's a feisty player. She obviously took Serena to three sets in Melbourne this year, and, and you know, that was a great win for Vika to get through. She had some real sloppy <laughs> parts of that match, um, but, you know, she is such a – we use the word fighter a lot, but she really is a fighter, and she sort of overcame some horrible serving, particularly in that match. And uh, this morning, the match against Wozniacki, you know, they just played in Melbourne. Um, Vika's just too strong for Wozniacki, who, you know, when she was dominant, really didn't make a lot of mistakes and, you know, just kept the ball in play. And she just seems to be, I don't know if it's part of her trying to be more aggressive, but she definitely makes more mistakes these days. And, uh, you know, the the, uh, the match was kind of, the scoreline, I suppose, was almost ignored by uh, by the Twitter world and tennis world because of some drama that uh, happened on court. Did you happen to see what had happened with the call um, in, towards the end of the first set? I just saw a little bit. I, I wasn't quite following exactly what was going on uh, with, with respect to that. Well, basically, Wozniacki was serving at 3-5 down, and she served a let that trickled, I mean, just, hit the top of the tape and trickled over. There was no call. And so Vika clearly, I mean, the ball was clearly wide. You could see it, you know, on any photo of, of, uh, you know, of that shot. But Vika challenged and the Hawkeye wasn't available. And so the rule, of course, is if Hawkeye isn't available, which does happen, it does, you know, it is a machine. And uh, so the original call stands. So that's fine. But then then, uh, Wozniacki was adamant that she should get a, a first serve and not a second serve. Well, she kind of held up, you know, because she was complaining about it, and she basically demanded, I don't even think she even thought for a second, she basically asked for the supervisor right away. So the chair umpire, you know, explained what happened, and the supervisor was trying to tell Caroline that she doesn't get a second serve, that any time, I'm sorry, she doesn't get a first serve, that any time Hawkeye isn't available, they stick with the original call. And she was arguing, well, it's taken so long now, I should get, you know, (laughs) Uh, first serve, and of course the, the supervisor said, or maybe it was Twitter. Well, you, you're the one that's basically delayed this, so no, you don't get a uh, first serve. And it was there's a great images of Vika kind of throwing her hands up at the umpire, saying, "Are you kidding me about all of this?" And even said to Caroline, "Are you serious about this?" Like it was clearly wide. And gotta love Azarin because she tweeted later today about how she's going to go into the Hall of Fame for having you know, some of the worst calls against her because <laughs> it clearly was wide. But it was one of those things, you know. I'm sure Caroline probably couldn't see exactly where it dropped or just wanted to, you know, kind of make a fuss out of it. But it was a pretty intriguing uh, situation, and 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 Azarenka did end up breaking in that game, and then Wozniacki only won one more game in the match, but. Just uh, you just don't often see both players standing at the net, one talking to the chair umpire, one talking to the supervisor, and I don't know what the crowd thought of that, but you know, for the the tennis Twitter world that we love, um, it was kind of the the headline for the for the matches until we got you know later in the day when Petra's match with uh, Suarez Navarro kind of took over some storylines, but. You know, these things happen, but it was it's definitely a unique situation. And at least, you know, Victoria and Caroline are good friends, so I think that's why Azarenka kind of joked, you know, not even joked, but said, are you kidding me? Like, it was so out. But uh, but regardless, you know, another big win for uh, Victoria. And she's into the semifinals here, and like you said, she is a wild card, which, uh, you know, her ranking's at least going to go up to about 40 from making the semis and obviously a little bit higher if she wins that match. Um but how have you thought about Vika's form um, since she's uh, this whole week? 
I, I really like it. Uh, she's got some nice wins, uh, you know, uh, as we talked about uh, here here this week. And just going back to that point, that controversial point, uh, Rob Koenig and Jason Goodall were in the booth, and it was uh, the point was made that you know both players were robbed. So that was uh, that was very interesting. But um, yeah, the, the, the scoreline against Kerber, even though Kerber is uh, on a little bit of roller coaster, the 11-3, very impressive scoreline. You know, Vika uh, lost early in a, a tournament prior to the Australian Open. Did as he mentioned, get Caroline at uh, in round two at the Australian Open. Bad, bad matchup for Caroline, but. I really like uh, Victoria Azarenka's form this week and, and with respect to his, her results. In fact, um, you know, she's uh, 0-4 against Venus Williams, and uh, head-to-head they're, they're going to play uh, tomorrow in the in the semifinal. I, I'm actually going with uh, Victoria Azarenka. No disrespect to Venus, who's also obviously had some great results this week, uh, taking out Delacqua in three, Strakova in three, and uh, Redwanska in three as well. But um, I, I'm thinking – you know, uh, Victoria Azarenka is is back, if you will, uh, and this tournament is really showing me quite a bit. A uh, little bit of rust still in Melbourne, but um, I think she's fighting through that. And as you mentioned, uh, Steph, the, the new coaching appointment of Fissette, boy, uh, you know, almost paying some immediate dividends like the uh, Madison Keys appointment of Lindsay Davenport as well. Well, you know, Vika, it's hard to remember sometimes. I swear I don't remember things from one set to the other. But, you know, Victoria is definitely going to net a lot, and she is looking for short balls and just really trying to really step in. And so that was one thing I noticed in the match against um, Svitolina is that she was just getting up to the net as much as possible. And she's always had pretty good hands up there. I mean, you know, she's not someone who has always been pinned to the baseline when she plays, but that's something that, that's really kind of standing out for me, and I don't know if that's any influence with her new coach or if that was something that I'm just forgetting that she was working on, you know, in the past. But that's that's standing out to me a lot. But certainly going into the match with Venus, I mean, it's, it is a toss-up. I mean, Venus has struggled. You know, she's needed three sets to get through all of her matches this week, and, you know, she's even acknowledged that today after her match that, you know, it would be nice to not have to, you know, I would like to win in two sets. Winning in three is obviously not great for her. But, you know, that match with uh, Red Wanska today, I only saw the third set. And and one thing I I took from it is that, um, you know, Venus is struggling a little bit to kind of end the points. And I noticed that against Strakova as well, where she just, you know, she'd get a short ball, she'd get up by the net, and you think, here's Venus at the net, like, you're done. But, she just isn't quite getting those balls put away. And, and obviously, Strakova defends well and Radwanska as well, and they are hard to put away. But, um, but you know, Venus is going to have to kind of not have to hit so many more balls to end points. And oftentimes, she was losing these long rallies that she – it looked like she had, you know, balls to put away and just couldn't quite get the last uh, the last shot where she wanted it. But, uh but, you know, her serve has been a little suspect as well. I think Radwanska at one game today where she broke her – I think hit winners off of three second serves. Well, that's just not going to work. But but mm-hmm. in saying that, Zarenka's serve is a little suspect as well. But uh, I kind of feel like Vika's going to get Venus this time. I do think that, you know, she's just playing a little bit more consistently. Um, I'm excited for that match. I mean, I'm shocked that Azarenka has never taken a set off Vika. Um, I'm sorry, off Venus, yeah. you know, in four matches. And, and they did play, you know, when uh, when Vika's been in her prime. I mean, they played in 2013 in Tokyo. Um, obviously, last year at Stanford, um, you know, Vika has had had a great year, and Venus, uh, Venus won 6-4, 7-6. But uh, I, as much as I love Venus, uh, I think that, 
she is going to lose this one, and Vika's going to get into the final. But I'm hoping for um, a really great match. It should be uh, a screamer with uh, lots of very hard-hitting uh, tennis. So big babe tennis, which as much as I hate that, it is kind of uh, you know what I think about when <laughs> some of these really big hitters take on you know take each other on on the court. So looking forward to that one. So I agree. I think we're going to see Vika in the final. Yeah, and just going back, uh, it, you know, I saw the back end of the second set of uh, the match between Venus's win over Redwanska today, uh, where Redwanska really uh, was was playing very well uh, toward the end of the second set. Obviously, won that set quite handily and looked to be, you know, in command of the match at that point in time, only to have Venus steal it, if you will, uh, breaking very early. But you mentioned, um, you know, some of the second serves. I think Venus went, I think it was when she was serving for the match, was broken at love. In fact, uh, Radwanska mm-hmm. was just slapping second serves, you know, quite easily. So, uh, as you mentioned, that's something certainly that Venus is going to have to tune up uh, with respect to, uh, you know, her match tomorrow against uh, Azarenko and going forward. But uh, a little surprising there, but obviously at the end of the day, Venus Williams got the win. And, you know, Steph, we talked a little bit about some of the drama today uh, with uh, Wozniak and uh, Vika. There was a little bit of drama earlier in the week. Uh, Venus and Strakova, with respect to the late challenge, were you able to catch any of that? I did. And, uh, you know, Barbara Zahofalova Strakova, which I'm sure I'm saying her name badly in 20 ways, is, uh, you know, she's having a pretty good year. And, you know, she's she's played in some pretty compelling matches um, you know, she played Wozniacki, I think they've played two and a half times almost this year. Um, but Strakova, she's a tough player, and she's got great variety in her game. And I, I, I enjoy watching her um, for her tennis and also the fact she's kind of a little nuts. And even her coach said something to her to that effect during the match with Venus. But, you know, it got a little, little heated in that match um, in the third set. There were a couple of challenges that Venus made, uh, you know, and of course it's a lot of key points when you're in a third set, but um, Eva Azdraki Moore, I believe is her new name, was in the chair, and at one stage, Strakova's um, ball looked to be a little bit close to the baseline, and it was not called, and so Venus challenged, and Eva had already said the score, which, you know, sometimes the chair umpires say the score right away, sometimes they wait a little bit, but you know, I don't. I didn't go back and count the number of seconds it was after you know the score was called and when Venus challenged. But her opponent was pretty upset that Venus was allowed to challenge that late, and she told Eva all about it, and actually got a warning for unsportsmanlike conduct because she told Eva something to the effect of "You're a horrible person." Of course, Eva is the one who you know has been told she's ugly on the <laughs> ugly on the inside from Serena. So you know she's, she's someone who has no stranger to any of these kind of situations but um but then later in that third set uh Zofalova Strakova served what she thought was an ace Venus challenged was correct it was long and then you know so Strakova was again extremely upset about this and so I mean I I I always refer to Del Potro as being one of the slowest challengers and I agree that sometimes it seems like it's a bit late I really didn't think either of these were particularly late but in saying that, you know, I didn't count, so that's fine. But uh, but basically, you know, Venus pulled out a very tight match in the third set. She had served for the match and got broken. She faced a match point. Venus pulled it out, which, oh, my God, she won a third set tie break. She won a tie break. I mean, she's, she's kind of found ways to lose those in, in the past. But, uh, but at the net, uh, you know, the ladies shook hands and uh, – 
mm-hmm. you know, they didn't exchange any words, and then all of a sudden Venus said to her opponent, you know, what's that phase for, basically? And, uh, you know, Strakova said, well done, and Venus said, okay, you know. But basically, you know, Venus clearly didn't like the way that Strakova was looking at her. And so, you know, that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. You don't really see Venus get – it's not really confrontation like that at the net, but, uh, you know, it's fine. You know, the check is a little bit uh, an intriguing personality. But on her Instagram account later yesterday, she tweeted a picture that the top was her and the set, the bottom half was a, was a hawkeye bird or some kind of bird. And she basically, you know, talked about how crap those calls were and how late – her opponent was able to challenge and used all these interesting hashtags. So, you know, she was clearly still pretty upset about it. Um, you know, just add a little bit more color to an already very colorful match. But um, she is someone who is kind of like Cornet a little bit, where she's just very emotional and, and you know, can mm-hmm. just be screaming at everybody basically on the court. So she was pretty upset about those uh, those challenges. But it's just what happens, you know. We you rely on, on, on lines people, you rely on technology, and, and sometimes calls are wrong, mm-hmm. and the chair umpire has the discretion, and sometimes they get it right and sometimes they get it wrong. But, uh, you know, we've just had a little bit of drama like that on the court this week, but... You know, at the end of the day, every point matters, and two points don't make the match. But uh, it was it was fairly interesting. What do you do? You enjoy watching Strakova uh, and some of her her uh, tantrums she can throw on the court. I, I do. It, it, I, I I do. It's it's a little. Uh, you know, I prefer. You know, obviously the achievement and accomplishment. But there's you know a little bit of drama here and there with with certain players. Uh, uh, certainly that that adds a little bit of. Uh, yeah, enjoyment, I guess you can say, with respect to some of the some of the color and ability of uh, the players to to express themselves. Uh, not necessarily just uh, playing tennis, but a little emotion there, here and there. And interesting, you mentioned uh, Cornet. Obviously, that's always uh, a very interesting, intriguing match to watch anytime she matches up against anybody. And um, you know, Elisa Cornet uh, lost to a qualifier this week, Steph uh, Dolgaru of Romania, who, interestingly enough. Um, was one of the three ladies this week so far in the tournament to, to retire from the tournament. Not quite the seven ATP retirements in one day that we had uh, last week, but uh, we've already had three this week in uh, in uh, Doha. And that uh, Yankovic retired, uh, Dolgaru retired, and uh, unfortunately uh, Garbin Muguruza retired in a first ma- first round match against uh, Suarez Navarro. Um, had she been healthy and gotten through that match, which was a big ask in itself, uh, we would have seen a, a rematch of last week's semi with uh, Muguruza and Pliskova, but uh, that did not happen, unfortunately. But um, three retirements uh, in, in one tournament, it's it's only February, and, uh, you know, both on the men's and women's side, we are seeing uh, retirements pile up, not only in the WTA and ATP draws, but also in the qualifying, in the challenger uh, circuit as well. Any uh, any thoughts uh, or anything to chime in on with respect to Yankovic, Dolgaru, or Muguruza this week? Well, I was bummed to hear about Yankovic. You know, she was having some back problems last year, and, you know, she's very dramatic, and she talked about how, you know, she was really struggling to do the basics and even walk, um, you know, in November, December last year. Um, I didn't see the games. I think she it was like 3-2 or 4-3 in the first set against Kvitova, but I, I heard Yankovic was playing well, but she pulled her adductor, and just today, 
a few hours ago it was reported that she's out of Monterey, which talk about number of with you know retirements. I mean, I'm looking at a, about eight names in red of you know it was a very small draw in Monterey, but Yankovic is is out with her injury. Coco Vandeweghe um, has has pulled out. She I didn't even I missed it. There's been so much going on in Doha, but she actually retired in the match um, against, and I'm going to forget who I think it's shoulder problem in Dubai. And so she only played a couple games. Um, you know, there's just a list of players that that are, have pulled out of Monterey, which starts, you know, was just next week. So um, the only one I found a little bit strange was Dugoru because people, you know, she played a great match against Cornet. I know she's had a lot of injuries, so yeah. it's nice to see her back and, and playing well. But um, all the commentary kind of was almost around how she was just tired and didn't really have anything um left to to battle with against Wozniacki after beating Cornet in the previous round. And so I was just a little bit unsure, was she actually ill or was she just flat and exhausted? Um, And uh, whereas Muguruza, you know, the official cause of her withdrawal was uh, a viral illness. So, um, you know, Yankovic, you hope that she's going to be, you know, recovering okay. You know, she's She's no spring chicken, even though she'd probably argue with you. She's not an old lady yet, but she certainly, um, you know, is someone who has been at the top of the game. She was on, you know, had a great kind of run back in, I think, 2013, and then last year was in a great year, and, and now she's battling all the, these injuries. And, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit tricky for someone kind of at her stage of her career to, to really have this many um, injuries. And also today, um, a match we'll talk about a little bit later, but uh, – Petkovic, who we've talked about, has just been plagued with massive injuries. She was hurt again in her match against Lucy Savasheva today, um, apparently a hamstring, and she's been having a lower back injury. So, you know, it is early in the season, and, and these things happen, and, you know, these are players that are, you know, on the plane a lot, and they're in different environments and different air and everything all the time, and so getting sick isn't completely far-fetched, but it is a little bit of a concern, but... Um, you know, with a couple big tournaments coming up, I'm sure there's a lot of just smart decisions um, being made. But hopefully, you know, Garbine, I don't know if she's scheduled to play um, before Indian Wells. I would hope she was, you know, because she's been playing singles and doubles and doing well in both. I think mm-hmm. a viral illness is probably her body's way of saying, okay, it's time for a nap. <laughs> you know, I need a little bit of a break here. Uh, but you never want to see retirements. So I think there were two in a row yesterday because Yankovic had pulled out in her match and then Dugolru. So, you know, just for the fans, that's always a disappointment when you have retirements. But in saying that, I think there's been some pretty great three-set matches as well in Doha this week. Um, so hopefully there's no more retirements. Hopefully we get we get to end Doha with two great semifinals and a final. I think we will, and you know, you talked about Dalgoro possibly being uh, tired, uh, retiring to in the second set, early in the second set against Wozniak. Yeah, I was just looking, Steph, at the qualifying draw, and uh, you know, she won three matches to get through that. But uh, there were also three retirements in the first round of qualifying in in Doha as well. And uh, mm-hmm. I am taking a look at the qualifying draw because. Uh, Something that jumps out at me, and uh, someone that we're going to talk about here a little bit, uh, Belinda Bencic was the number one seed in qualifying. She lost a three-setter in the first round to Francesca Schiavone, who's been playing some very good tennis uh, the last couple of weeks. But um, 
a very rare, very rough start uh, for for the young Swiss at this point in time in, in mm-hmm. 2015. We talked about Kerber having a, a rough start, but um, your thoughts on uh, on Belinda Bencic? Maybe uh, you know a lot of a lot is expected of her. She's played a ton of Fed Cup uh, over the last couple of years and whatnot. But uh, you would think that she would be able to uh, to get through Schiavone and uh, you know continue on and probably make the main draw, being the number one seed in qualities. Your your thoughts on uh, Belinda Bencic at this point, uh, late February 2015? Well, I suppose we can kind of call this a bit of a sophomore slump because it was a breakout year for her last year. She still is 17. I think it's not so much about the fact that she's not winning matches. She lost first round in Sydney in Melbourne. You know, she did win her Fed Cup match, um, and then she lost a real tough match in three sets to Cornet, um, and then, of course, got, you know, beaten pretty badly by Venus in Dubai. But you know, she barely was winning games in her first couple of matches. She lost to Daria Garvalova, three in love, and lost to Gurgis in Australia, two and one. So, you know, she was barely winning games in those matches. Um, the Ski, not Skiavoni, sorry, Kerber lost badly to Skiavoni. That's a whole other thing. But, uh, but Bencic lost mm-hmm. to Skiavoni as well in the qualifying. And, I mean, I love Francesca, but I really kind of wouldn't expect that to happen. So, um, you know, the match against Cornet is, is in the match against Venus are the ones that I've really seen of uh, benches this year. But, um, I mean, things can't come too easy to her, I suppose. She is still young, and but she is going to still be seated. I think at Slam she's still around, I think, the, the low 30s. But hopefully this is just kind of getting used to a different set of pressures. Um, you know, she had Martina Hingis on the sidelines last week in Dubai watching her match against Venus, which – we could talk for an hour about how strange, you know, uh, the, the situation is on the WHA with the Williams sisters and their peers that have all gone on to be like coaches and now watching their, their, you know, their mm-hmm. players play against Venus and Serena. But I, I feel like Bench is just going to have to, you know, she's not, she's not like she was a consistent player last year. She's just a someone who was, you know, always a threat to do well and obviously had a great run in New York. But it's a whole different world when all of a sudden, okay, you're a seated player, people are expecting you to do things. And uh, hopefully, you know, she can just kind of make some adjustments. Um, You know, the match against Venus, I thought she played pretty well. The Cornet match, she was a little bit too emotional. (laughs) I felt like she was just kind of a little bit out of control um, emotionally. So, you know, I think those things will come with age. I still think that she's got a huge upside, but that, how many games did she even win against Schiavone? I feel like it was only a couple. Is that right? You got the draw? Uh, The Benchich? Yeah. Uh, The Benchich match? Um, Yeah, she went three sets. Benchich, uh, I I believe, hold on, I'll pull that up and just... Yeah, I mean it... Yeah, that was... Yep. Yeah, Schiavone won that six seven six two six two. So uh, uh, not too many in the second and third sets there. Okay, okay. So yeah, I mean, you know, Francesca is, is a Grand Slam winner. She's been top five. She certainly still knows how to win, but she hasn't really had great results for the last couple of years. But um, but you know, keep an eye on Benchich. I mean, I think that uh, she's still got. So much to learn about, you know, keeping composure on the court. But she definitely has the strokes. I mean, I I still cover her backhand. It's a pretty impressive shot. But hopefully she'll have a little bit of a turnaround. But she hasn't won. Um, you know, she's really only won that first-round match in Dubai and then the one uh, match in Fed Cup. So not a super great start to the year. Um, and, and like I said, you, you mentioned Kerber. She's actually 
she's not even 500 this year. She's seven and seven. Um, and you know the fact that she did lose one and one last week to Schiavone, and then lost love and three to uh, to Vika this year. Do you have any insight on on Kerber? Is this just kind of her? You know, do you think that she is a solid top ten player? Do you think she's overachieved a bit in getting as far as she has? Well, I, I you know, it, it's almost it's almost like a Gamal Fees on the men's side. I, I, whereas Monfils is five and seventeen in finals, I think Kerber is something like three and eleven, dropping the last seven. So, you know, she's lost. Uh, she's gotten to she get she gets to some finals and then. Um, you know, play somebody. I, I think she lost to Monica Puig one time. I, I can't remember who else, but uh, so she goes deep in tournaments for the most part. And I, I don't think she's anybody uh, that somebody wants to play because uh, big, big mm-hmm. name, big game, if you will. But just um, and I really one thing that really impresses me about Kerber is her ability. Uh, she, she's really a gamer with respect to Fed Cup. She she really enjoys playing for Germany and does quite well in Fed Cup. But I. You know, and, and you're looking at the draw. I mean, she's she's the number eight seed. She's number twelve in the world, and so she's getting results here and there. It just seems that uh, when the spotlight is on Angie Kerber, uh, it just doesn't happen for her. And um, uh, hard to say. I, I I really can't put my finger on it. You mentioned she's seven and seven so far this year, and um, it, yeah, I, I I really I've enjoyed watching her play, but uh, I. <laughs> scratching my head as to why we're not seeing better results from her more consistently. Yeah, I mean, I've, I remember in 2012, uh, she played in Auckland. I was working for the tournament then, and she had a she had a good run mm-hmm. and then followed that up with making a bit of noise in Melbourne. And, you know, obviously she had made the semifinals at the U.S. Open in 2011. And I remember at the time not even – I think I was getting her confused with, with another player on court on the, the women's tour that had a similar name. Like, I really didn't know anything about her. Um I really enjoy watching her play, and you know, a lot of people are very negative mm-hmm. about Kerber, whether it's her on-court demeanor or the fact that you know they call her Dunn Kerber. You know, she doesn't care anymore about the match, and then all of a sudden she'll decide to care and play better. Um, but I just enjoy her game. I mean, I don't, I don't consider her just a defensive player. I've seen her play very up close, and she definitely doesn't mm-hmm. powder puff the ball over the net by any means. And you know, she's deceptively good mover. Um, you know, can hit some amazing backhands if you get her out wide. I mean, the angles she can create um, are fantastic. But you know, I just don't quite know what's going on with her at all. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that she kind of um, can study the ship a little bit. But she's certainly out of the top ten, and, and I'm not sure if she's going to get back in because there are some other players that are really knocking on the door and having a really great, um, you know, just consistent couple weeks here and, and start to the year, including. Carlos Suarez Navarro, who upset Patrick Kvitover yes. for the second straight time. Um, did you catch that match, and what did you think about Carla getting another win over Petra? Well, I didn't see the match, but um, I, I, you know, I'm not surprised per se, uh, given a couple things. I, I really like uh, Suarez Navarro's uh, form, how she's been playing the last couple weeks. Uh, let's not forget she got to that final that she wasn't able to uh, play against Petkovic in Antwerp. Uh, had a good week uh, there, and then you know we took a look, we spoke at the, at the top of the show, Steph, about the the draws here in the WTA action the last three weeks, and you know let's look at the semifinal. Suarez Navarro is going to play Jahafova. Suarez Navarro beat uh, Muguruza first round. Granted, it was a retirement in the first set, but Muguruza, Pliskova, and Petra Kvitova to to get to just the semifinal here in Doha, where she's going to match up with uh, Lucy Shahafova, who's beaten in her own uh, 
set uh, of the draw here, Sam Stozer, Makarova, and Petkovic. So, I mean, there is no – everywhere you turn uh, in these last three weeks on the WTA, uh, if you're playing these events, uh, it, you've got a gamer and a gunner each and every time. Um, getting back to your question, I'm not surprised by the fact that uh, Suarez Navarro, uh, the number nine seed here, took out number one Petra Kvitova. I just think that she is playing better and more consistent tennis uh, really for the last few weeks. Petra, as we've talked about before, uh, you know, come summer, come grass, uh, two Wimbledons under her belt. We talked about, uh, you know, her possibly winning other majors. Uh, not quite, uh, you know, we're not in major territory right now. Uh, Suarez Navarro, I, wow, the names that she's beaten this week. And uh, uh, I actually, uh, you know, looking at the semifinal against uh, Shahafova, She's 0-2 head-to-head. I think the last time they played was about three years ago. But I'm going with Carla Suarez-Navarro to uh, to get to the final, taking out Lucy tomorrow. I just really like the form uh, and what I've seen the last couple of weeks. I didn't see the match against Kvitova, but um, I like what she's been doing the last couple of weeks. You know, she I forget she's only five foot four. <laughs> um, you know, she's yeah. <laughs> then you know you see her at the net against with Kvitova, and you think, gosh, she really really is small. Um, you know, she's always been someone who everyone's ogled over her one-handed backhand, and, and it's certainly fantastic. And, you know, I guess one thing that I, I noticed a little bit of the match, I, I didn't watch all of it, but Carla just, you know, she was just, I feel like she was flying on the court. You could tell she was just feeling it. And, you know, Kavita was just scrambling. And, and I thought I thought Petra looked a bit slow. I thought she looked late to a lot of the shots. And, you know, and Carla can just hit the most amazing angles, and she was just, just playing much better. But, you know, I have to give some uh, some context to the flow of this match because Petra actually won the first 13 points of the match. So, I mean, she started off extremely well and was able to win that first set, and then Carla won 10 straight games. So she was leading, you know, after that first set, six love, four love. And then all of a sudden, of course, Petra breaks back and and gets it back on serve. But then, uh, and but Carla ended up breaking again. And you know, Petra just looked so frustrated, and and she clear she just did not look quick to me. She just and she was overhitting any time there was like a a change of direction. Petra was just hitting her forehand long. I mean, that's her go to shot. I mean, she's got such an amazing forehand. But you know, with her with 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 uh, Carla's backhand. I don't know if Petra just obviously struggles with her game. There's something in that matchup that, you know, Carla's got the edge on her the last two matches. And, of course, they've both gone three sets. But, um, you know, I wasn't surprised by that. I mean, we know that Petra is a little bit of a roller coaster player where she can just be amazing and then just be awful. Um, And the third set kind of had a little bit of both from what I saw. But, you know, props to Carla Suarez-Navarro. I think that... Um, you know, this, either way, she's going to be getting up to, you know, close to a career high. Um, I think even if she, I think she and Lucy Savasheva are going to be fighting out, you know, who's going to end up at number 11 or higher, depending on who wins um, that semifinal. But, you know, props to Carla. This is her second semifinal of the year. You mentioned she, you know, made the final in Antwerp and, and unfortunately couldn't contend in that because of a neck injury. But um, I also right. am going to Carla to to beat Lucy and and we've talked about she hasn't you know won a set off Lucy before but um, I feel like 
Carla's going to get the edge in that match. So I think we're both <laughs> we're both in agreement this time that we're we're picking uh, Carla Suarez Navarro yeah. and Victoria Azarenka to make the final. Uh, but before we go into that, the the fourth person to make the uh, semifinals in the last match today was Lucy Savasheva beating uh, Andrea Petkovic. Did you see that match? Any thoughts on on did how not, that one? Did not see that. Yeah, I no, only I watched a little. Line, the scoreline really. Uh... Yeah, the scoreline really impressed me, 2-1, and one, though. Yeah. I mean, I saw the stats of the match, and I was kind of trying to do other things because I sometimes feel like I shouldn't just sit in front of the TV all day and watch tennis, even though <laughs> that's nice sometimes. Um, but, I mean, Lucy <laughs> hit 30 winners in that match and only nine errors. Petkovic only had four winners, but Lucy was 13 of 15 net points. She served 73%. I mean, mm. it just absolute clean match from her. Um, from I did learn that Petkovic kind of came in and she'd been having some lower back problems and also a hamstring injury. So I don't think she was moving as well, mm-hmm. but I'm not really sure even if she felt, you know, 20, 30% better if it would have made a difference because Lucy's just on a roll. Um, and so mm-hmm. that was, you know, a very, very clean match from her. And I think it was very similar in her previous match as well against um, Makarova. I think she was kind of getting into some some good rhythms in that match as well. I unfortunately didn't see that one. It would have been a fun lefty matchup. But, you know, you mentioned the, the yeah. strength of the draws. And, you know, we are seeing some matchups that we've already been seeing a few times this year. Um, just, you know, the same players are just obviously having a really good um, start to the year. But we uh, there's just no throwaway match that you think, oh, I don't really, you know, that one's not no. going to be interesting. I don't care. I mean, every match is just, you just drool over them. So, you know, it's really exciting. Um to kind of have most of these players that have, you know, particularly players like Venus and, you know, that's had a little, she's had so many health problems and Azarenka's had so many health problems. Um, you know, it's nice to kind of see these players really back in the mix at, at you know, getting to the semifinal stages. But uh, but props to Lucy, even though I, I don't think she's going to beat Carla, um, she's going to move up probably to a career-high ranking. You know, there are all these players we're kind of talking about. I mean, Pliskova lost early this week, but she's ranked 13 right now. And with uh, Suarez mm-hmm. Navarro and Lucy, basically they're all kind of you know really knocking on the door of the top ten. And you know if Venus does happen to get through and win, I think she's I think the highest she can go is eleven. So all these players are are all really neck and neck in terms of the rankings. So you know you look at a player like Petkovic who was back in the top ten, and you know Kerber has fallen out, and you know at, at, uh, Radwanska is at 8, and I think there's enough of a gap between 8 and 11. I don't think she's going to be out of the top 10 just yet. But, you know, these other players that are having a great run, um, you know, I really do think that we're going to get first-time top 10 very soon for Lucy and for Suarez Navarro. I completely agree, and and a nice treat with both these players also. Lucy winning the Australian Open uh, in doubles this year with Maddox Sands, and Carla Suarez mm-hmm. Navarro certainly plays her share of doubles. So, uh, you know, we we talk about a couple, some of these players, and and they're they're you know running up the rankings. I mean, I, I you know I love the fact that they're playing so much doubles as they do quite regularly uh, on on tour. That that absolutely has to help uh, with their games here. Their net play. You mentioned Lucy coming in that and et cetera. And um, yeah, the doubles the doubles play really uh, comes into play and stuff. Right before we go to break, we obviously uh, when we come back we will talk about Acapulco uh, as well as. Uh, the events, uh, the titles that were earned last weekend. But uh, we both have, uh, despite the fact that uh, 
Azarenka is 0-4 against Venus. We both picked Vika, despite the fact that uh, Suarez Navarro is 0-2 against Lucy. We both picked uh, Carla. Uh, I'm actually going with Vika uh, to win the final over Suarez Navarro. How about you? Yes, I think this is Azarenka's match. I mean, don't forget Azarenka has won Doha twice. Uh, I think she's on a 13-match winning streak here. So, I mean, I think she was asked on a court interview the other day, you know, does this feel like your house? She's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's just had great results there. I mean, Venus did win Doha um, in 2008, I believe, when it was the WTA championships. But, you know, this is a tournament that Vika has done very, very well at. So I do think that she is going to win her, her third title here. Yeah, okay, interesting. We uh, Even though both ladies have not won a set against whom they're facing in the semis, uh, we're both going with them. And uh, we both, Steph and I, have Azarenka over Suarez Navarro for the Doha Championship. And, Steph, when we come back after break, we'll talk about Acapulco and as well as last week's titles when we come back right after this. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? And this? And what about this? Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. Little Caesars, home of the $5 hot and ready pepperoni pizza, now has a deep, deep dish pizza with eight crispy caramelized corner slices and even more cheese and pepperoni. So head on down and grab a large for just eight bucks and tell them Alan Varner sent you. They won't know who that is, but as a voice actor, I'm always trying to get my name out there. Check me out at alandoesvoices.com. That's A-L-A-N doesvoices.com. But first, get the new deep, deep dish pizza. It's hot and ready every day from 4 to 8 p.m. for just 8 bucks, only at Little Caesars. Pizza, pizza. At participating locations plus tax. Hi, this is Dick Gould. You're listening to the Pro 10 Radio Network. <laughs> And welcome to Back to Passing Shots on the Pro 10 Radio Network. Pete Zebron of Tennis Acumen with Stephanie Neppel of I Have a Tennis Addiction. And, Steph, we also have another tournament going on this week in Acapulco, Mexico. Maria Sharapova is the top seed in this tournament. And, uh, you know, she's breezing through the tournament fairly fairly easily, has a big lead uh, tonight in her quarterfinal as well. But, uh, uh, yeah, some uh, some. Nice opportunities for other players to uh, to get through and, and, and earn some wins. We've had some other, uh, you know, up-and-coming names in this draw as well. Uh, Krunich, Schmidleva, they actually played uh, against each other. Uh, Monica Puig, uh, who won the title last year, uh, she played uh, Sisol Karancheva today. Both ladies uh, I got to see play in the Goldwater 75K Challenger in Phoenix that no longer exists. But um, a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity for some other players. Caroline Garcia is going to be in action a little bit later. Uh, the problem is, as uh, so many tennis fans are finding, is that the uh, these matches are really uh, not being covered on television, which is uh, which is very sad uh, for players uh, for fans who want to watch Maria Sharapova and the other ladies competing in Mexico. Um, I know that it's coming down the pike with respect to the WTA and their television contract. It's, uh, they're promising bigger and better coverage, but not in place right now, and it's uh, 
definitely a challenge to try and watch Acapulco. Is that what you're experiencing? Yeah, and I mean, you know, I I subscribe to Tennis TV, and I have for a couple of years. And at the moment, the house I'm living in has Tennis Channel. I feel like I should be covered for any pro tournament between those two services, both which are not free uh, to fans. And I don't subscribe to Tennis Channel on, or sorry, Tennis Channel Everywhere. I think it's called, or Tennis Channel Plus. I think where yeah. you know they are showing some other matches. But um, you know, you 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 look at like the USTA Pro Circuit. I mean, how much money is there to put on these tournaments? Not a lot. And you can watch a stream online, and there is even a commentator. And the same thing with some of the ATP Challenger events. And so it's really frustrating to have a tournament like Acapulco. And, I mean, okay, this is not an inter- – this is I don't even know if this is Premier 5 or Premier International, whatever the, the funny label you know the WTA has for these tournaments, but – you have the number two player in the world playing. This is you have top ten players there. This is not a throwaway tournament. This is not a challenger event. You should be able to watch. And you know there are illegal streams. Of course, you can watch for a lot of these events. But I I tried to watch uh, Sharapova's first round match. And honestly, I don't. I I know that this is a hard court tournament. It did used to be clay, but this the uh, I almost forgot that I was watching hard court tennis because the stream was just terrible. It was real jerky. There was a really bad like the sound was terrible. And you know I love watching tennis, but I'm not gonna just sit there and, and give myself a headache by watching a bad stream. And so I have really not really tried to watch anymore. But I did kind of ask Twitter because I don't always I really rely more on tennis TV, which I really like a lot um, over Tennis Channel, and so I didn't know if Tennis Channel had Acapulco and maybe they were showing it, but I've been told they do not have rights to it, Um, which is just, to me, it's unacceptable. I mean, any of the WTA matches we should be able to watch on either Tennis TV or Tennis Channel. I mean, clearly Acapulco is being shown on TV locally. Um, I've seen the ESPN desk there. You know, someone can be getting these these matches on. And so I know that the WTA, you know, they talked about in Singapore about how they're going to be making more matches available, and that's great, but it just kind of brings the point home when you're trying to watch Maria Sharapova play a match and you can't um, unless you watch a really bad stream. And sometimes those streams, people get viruses on their computer. So um, I'm a little bit leery sometimes of watching some of those streams because it's just annoying. You've got pop-ups, you've got streams dying, and uh, it's just really unfortunate to um, be in 2015 and still not be able to watch, you know, some of these top players play. Um, Hopefully this is the last year it's going to be like that, but for the most part I'm just going to be sticking to Doha. But like you said, you know, there's still a very good draw here. Um, Just the – we've got two of the quarterfinals underway right now, but earlier today we did have the defending champ, Monica Puig, in a very intriguing match against Cecil Karancheva. And uh, Puig actually lost that match 6-4 in the third, even though she had three match points in the second set. She'd come back from four love down in that second set. She ended up um, getting broken. I'm sorry, no, she was sorry, she was down 5-2, ended up you know, getting back on serve and then breaking and serving at 6-5 and lost in a tie break and you know just an absolute seesaw match that I think I tweeted something about you know the the some of the the loopy rallies were just giving me a headache my eyes you know getting like motion sickness because <laughs> Cecil has a very unconventional game and and you've seen her play I believe you've uh 
kind of seen her game in the flesh before? Yes, I have, actually. She won the 75,000 uh, Phoenix Challenger uh, in 2011. And, uh, yeah, exactly. I, I saw your tweet uh, about the uh, the loopy forehands, and absolutely right. I, I was uh, She was uh, playing some of those balls uh, in, in the semifinals and final in 2011. And uh, let's not forget, this is somebody who got to the quarters of uh, Roland Garrison uh, in 2005. She actually beat Venus Williams along the way and had some pretty good wins back then. I think then she was suspended. But um, she's a lucky loser in this tournament. And um, you mentioned took out Puig. Uh, uh, Puig came back from a 2-5 deficit in the second in the second set, uh, and actually a, a three a, was down 6-3 in the in the breaker uh, and had a match point and, and was not able to convert that. But right, I um, uh, amazing that uh, all credit to uh, Karen Cheva for uh, coming through as a lucky loser and, and getting here to the quarters. But um, absolutely, it's uh, it's some parts of uh, the match. It's um, it, it's not pleasant to watch for sure. No, and you know Monica Twig, uh, you know she's been around for a couple of years. I remember she played at the Family Circle Cup in Charleston in 2013, and and I was there for that entire tournament. And it was almost like a coming out party that year for people like Madison Keys, Sloane Stevens, Jeannie Bouchard, uh, Puig. They were all in Charleston, and I really love Puig's personality, and she definitely has just kind of a lot of belief in herself. But after watching her, I had to log the match she played against Panetta. Um, was it, oh no, sorry, Petkovic uh, at the U.S. Open last year, and I when you log for ESPN, you literally have to watch every single stroke and make sure you're paying attention to you know <laughs> is it a forehand and so every single point and every single stroke of that match I watched, and I swear that she looked at her coach after every stroke she hit. I mean, it was just she just clearly is not a player that has a lot of well, I shouldn't say clearly, but she just didn't seem to have the belief in herself enough to kind of really try to win it herself. She was just looks so desperate on the court and you know she does wall up the ball but I just I don't you know she's kind of hanging around the 50 ranking mark and I'm not sure if she's ever gonna really have a charge up the rankings but you know she's Puerto Rican there's certainly not been a whole lot of Puerto Rican um, tennis players that have done well in the WTA but uh, you know that's a match she she really should have won um, even though she did get down quite a bit in that second set Um, but it is instead it's Cecil who, yeah, has had – I remember she did have a, a dispute years ago with Sharapova, something about it over an exhibition that they were meant to play that I think Maria pulled out of, and there were some, you know, young teenage words exchanged, something like that. But, you know, it's Cecil who's in the semifinal, and she'll play the winner of Larson and Bazinski, which I believe is going on right now, and uh, it looks like – well back on serve now. Bazinski's up a set and it's on serve in the second. So, um, you know, Bazinski's been pretty, she's been playing pretty well. I think that if she wins this match, yes. she'll be the number one Swiss again over, I think she'll just pass Bencic in the rankings. Um, but, you know, definitely still some good matches. Maria's probably, I can't see any circumstance that Maria Sharapova doesn't win this uh, win this title. Um, yes. But she will she will have an interesting matchup against either Garcia or Lucic Baroni in the in the semifinal if she gets through Rybarakova, which she's kind of cruising right now five one. But um, have you? Yeah, I mean, with with it being difficult to watch the you know the the matches because of the streaming issues, it, it does make it hard to really kind of pick pick up anything good or bad. And one player that did uh, play and, and lost pretty quickly with Sloane Stevens. Um, she's now two and four this year. 
you know, she's obviously slid right. down the rankings now. She's 41. Um, she lost three and two to Larson. You know, these these losses that she's having, she's really not winning a lot of games. Um, do you want to talk about Sloan and kind of where you think she's at? And, you know, is it is it a case that she was hyped too much and, and hadn't really achieved a lot? Or do you think she's just struggling with, with confidence. I mean, what do you? What's your take on Sloane Stevens? Well, it was just a couple of years ago when uh, 19-year-old Sloane Stevens got to the semifinals at the Australian Open uh, and announced herself, if you will. A lot of, uh, and you've been to her pressers as well. Uh, was back in the day uh, quite chatty and cheerful and uh, uh, really witty, if you will. And obviously, uh, that uh, that's changed, and her demeanor overall has changed as well. Uh, you know, she had worked a long time with uh, with Coach Roger Smith, who was almost like a father figure to Sloan back in the day. And uh, I was able to chat and meet Roger uh, back when Sloan played the Phoenix Challenger and uh, saw him at a couple of tournaments after that fact uh, when he was still working with her uh, in, in Cincinnati and a few other places. But um, I think, you know, Sloan um, left Roger, I believe it was in 2011, and uh, started working with David Nakin, who was also working with Sam Query at the time. But um, uh, Sloan Stevens, in my opinion, has, has sort of lost her way. Uh, I don't think tennis is very fun or enjoyable for her right now. You mentioned the uh, you know two and four this year, uh, 41 in the world. She's a much better player than that, and uh, lost three and two to to Larson of Sweden. Uh, has had some other uh, you know losses this this year, which uh, really weren't all that competitive and. Yeah, I, it's it's painful to watch because Sloane Stevens is is it just has such a beautiful personality, and it's been so long since we've seen that. And uh, uh, I'd, I'd really like to see her be able to get back. She's much more talented than uh, than what's going on. Obviously, as we mentioned in the show, she's not the only player that's off, uh, not really to a great start in 2015. I think it's more uh, getting back to some of the basics and fundamentals. I would love to see Sloane Stevens work with Roger Smith again, um, who, after working with Sloan, went to go work with Donald Young. And I should make mention, uh, Roger Smith uh, of the Bahamas, he played collegiate tennis at Ohio State University. He beat uh, he beat Yvonne Lendl when Lendl was number one at Stratton, Stratton Mountain, Vermont. So uh, the man could play some tennis, knows quite a bit about it, and uh, was a very good uh, not only coach, mentor, father figure, if you will, for Sloan Stevens, I think she needs to go back to the drawing board, get someone who, uh, namely Roger, that she's familiar with to uh, to put it all together because Roger has been there for her very early on and, and helped lay the foundation in the career of Sloan Stevens. You know, I mean, I don't I, – I sometimes just don't keep up very well with some of the coaching changes, so I didn't know too much about Roger Smith. But, you know, you've kind of seen the, you know, cycle of people that Sloan's tried working with, you know, people like um, mm-hmm. Paul Anacone, I believe she – I can't even list them all, but she is apparently still working with Nick Saviano, who you know has worked with Robson and with Jeannie Bouchard. Um, but you do kind of wonder, you know, should she go back to something that was more familiar? You know, almost like when you've been away from home and you're like, I just want the comforts of home. You know, after you've been gallivanting all over the world or something like that, like like I have in my life, where sometimes you go, okay, I want to go back to kind of what I'm most familiar with. Um, but, you know, things came kind of quick for Sloan. She obviously had some great results and some slams. I've kind of gone through the, like, steps with her where I was kind of disgusted, and then, I, you know, I was doubtful of her talent. I was disgusted by coverage. And then, 
you know, I was at the Wozniacki match in Miami last year where she, I believe, won one game, and, you know, she just looked completely lost on court. Like, she just had zero idea what to do. Um, and it was just, you know, I don't remember if people booed for, her, you know, booed her, but it it felt like one of those situations you were so disappointed because I thought that was going to be a very good match. And now I kind of have kind of at the sadness for Sloan and kind of where she is right now. And 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 I really do hope that she can find some, you know, whatever she needs to get that stability. And if she's, I mean, she can just wall up the ball, you know. And she never had like the best footwork yeah. out there, but I think. She's an amazing athlete, and she, you know, has unwielding power. You know, I watched – I was at the match against Serena at the U.S. Open in 2013, and, I mean, it was it was tense. I mean, that was a very tense match, you know, after everything that it, they'd gone through that year with, you know, Sloan beating her and then the whole press mess that they went through. And so that mm-hmm. match I was – it was very intriguing, um, and you know she was still played. She still played a very good match. I mean, that's where I, if I'm gonna have someone tell me that she doesn't have any talent, I'm gonna question them based solely on that match alone. Where you know Arthur Ashe Stadium, it's it's Labor Day weekend. She's playing Serena. I mean, mm-hmm. she definitely has a shot. It's just there's just something going on in her head. It's to, to me, it's just a mental thing, and, and I think that if she can get some kind of consistency. Um, in the coaching situation, because it is never good to have you know have a coach work with you for a few months and then leave and and, and go in that cycle. You really right. need more stability, especially as she's still trying to kind of settle into the pro life. And you know, I talked to Sloan. I went to a couple events um, before or during the U.S. Open last year and, and got a chance to you know just interview. I mean, she's a fun girl, um, and so that's why I think it's almost it's kind of heartbreaking to see her look so out of sorts on the court because she just really doesn't look like she has any idea and just not a confidence in herself on the court at all. So um, I'm hopeful that she can turn this around. Um, You know, I think she's always going to, I think she's going to get good crowd support in Indian Wells and Miami as she's there. You know, hopefully that will help. I know she likes to be in the U S she kind of talked about that in Charleston a few years ago, but uh for right now, I'm still keeping her in the hold column, not ready to buy or sell her, but I, I just kind of do hope we, we see a turnaround soon. I, I agree. The talent is there. It's just uh, some, uh, a bit of confidence, and uh, uh, hope, hope uh, like you mentioned, Saviano's with her now. I'm hoping that uh, some improvements can uh, can be made in, in the uh, course uh, trajectory of Sloan Stevens in, in 2015. Completely agree. And uh, last week, Steph, uh, we had uh, – uh, Simona Halep winning the tournament in Dubai, and probably the, the match of that tournament was uh, was the semifinal uh, between uh, Muguruza and Pliskova. Uh, Muguruza, excuse me, Pliskova winning a long marathon match. I think that was almost three hours long, and then eventually uh, Simona Halep, actually, who took out Wozniacki in the other semi, uh, Simona Halep got the win there. We talked about her not playing this week, but um, wow. Uh, what a match between Pliskova and Muguruza. This is uh, quickly becoming a, a you know, must-see match, if you will, and it's too bad we didn't see that uh, second round this week. But at the same point in time, credit to Halep for winning in, uh, in Dubai. And uh, concurrent to that, we also had a uh, another tournament going on, and Sarah Rani uh, won the tournament as well uh, last week in Rio de Janeiro. Any observations in, in uh, the semis in uh, Dubai and as well as Irani winning Acapulco that jumped out at you? 
Well, I, I will concur that that match with Pliskova and Muguruza was incredible. And, you know, it's very exciting to look at, you know, the future of WCA based on young players like that. I mean, just incredible fighters, incredible game. And, you know, I'm, I am I like Pliskova a lot. She she's kind of reminds me a little bit of Davenport where, you know, she has these just her, – her strokes look so easy, and but you always – think she's maybe not in position to hit balls or she doesn't move as well. I mean, she's very tall. I think she's 6'2". Um, but, you know, she's just got incredible power, incredible placement on the shots and, and you know, a great serve. And so that I, I'm really enjoying watching her play this year. And, and obviously, she, I think she's fourth in the race to Singapore right now. I mean, if anyone deserved a week off after, you know, the runner-up finish in Dubai, it was definitely Pliskova. Um, but I do want to add in that that was Halep's 10th title she won her first title in June 2013. So you want to talk about someone who, you know, is uh, is winning and winning often. I mean, that was incredible. Um, I was sort of right. looking up, you know, Irani, that was her seventh win. Um, and she won, you know, back as far as 2008. So, I mean, obviously completely different players and, and stages of their career, but I, I found it really interesting. I, I know Halep had an amazing, you know, 2013, I or was it 2014? Either one year that she won like six events. Was that just last year? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, all in my part of the, yeah, in my brain. But you know, she's obviously in 18 months, almost two years, she's won 10 titles, which is pretty incredible. Um, but with Arani, you know, she survived that crazy match against the uh, the local Brazilian who ended up cramping and, and losing. You know, had to quit their match in the quarterfinal, I believe it was. But you know, Ronnie's got eight wins, and seven of them are on clay. Um, I'm never surprised if she's going to win one of these smaller clay events. Um, you know, for me, you know, I, I don't think that gives me a whole lot of insight in where her game is, because then she went to um, Acapulco and won two games off Puig. So, you know, she and I think Puig's beat her at Wimbledon two years ago maybe as well. I don't think she is too threatened by Ronnie's right, game. Right, right. You know, um, I think that Irani's back feeling, you know, better. I know the conditions in Rio were awful. Um, I don't know if you've listened to uh, No Challenges Remaining. It's a great podcast between uh, with Ben Rothenberg mm-hmm. of New York Times and Courtney Nguyen of uh, Sports Illustrated. But Courtney was down in Rio and, you know, definitely was talking about how it's difficult for the players to choose to, to play there because the conditions are awful. It's so humid. It's so hot. And so, you know, I know Irani struggled in that match against – and I've – forgotten her name, Bia Meza. I think she's got three names, and I'm not even going to try to remember it right now. But, uh, you know, I think that the <laughs> weather conditions there were very tricky um, for all the players. So, you know, good on Arani. That was her first win since Acapulco in 2013, which that was back when Acapulco was on clay. So, you know, for basically two years, and she's won a tournament. So I'm sure for her that that was a pretty big needed step for her to kind of maybe get a little bit more confidence back in her game. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, good weeks for two of the smaller players on, on the tournament with Halep and Irani. And obviously last week we had Maria Sanchez on the, on the, the show, and she was in Surprise Arizona, yes. which you got the opportunity to go and watch her play her semifinal match. And I believe she ended up losing in the doubles final. Um, but can you give a recap on what you saw during your time in Surprise? 
Yes, uh, I was actually there for the quarterfinals on Friday, and uh, I mentioned a few times in the show the uh, now defunct 75K challenger, we a women's challenger that we had here at the Phoenix Country Club in November from 09 to 12. And uh, uh, even though we've got the weather for it stuff, uh, you know, the back end of the year and front end, it was 82 degrees last Friday and surprise, and I went to the quarterfinals and uh, was able to see CC Bellis play uh, the eventual champ, uh, Sophia Arvidsson of Sweden. Bellis actually won the first set and uh, was up a break in the second was playing well but Arvidsson you know this is a this is a veteran player who's beaten Kvitova a couple of times and has beaten Yankovic I believe she has two WTA titles to her name last time I had seen Sofia Arvidsson she came through qualifying in Cincy in 2013 and lost in the first round to uh, Klybanova who was coming back at that point but uh Seasoned veteran, uh, Arvidsson, 31 years old. But I really liked, uh, you know, Bellis uh, played some very good tennis. She had a set and a break lead on uh, the on Arvidsson, who would eventually win that tournament. And uh, lost her way a little bit. Uh, got, uh, you know, missed some overhead smashes and whatnot. Uh, but uh, started, you, you could really tell that this was a 15-year-old player who, uh, who, who hadn't been around the block yet a few times playing a, a, an experienced veteran, as I mentioned, that, that won a couple of uh, titles on the tour. But uh, nice to see Bellis and, and her compete, her fight, and uh, this is someone that we're going to be seeing quite a bit of going forward. But uh, another youngster that uh, you mentioned, we had Maria Sanchez on the show, and, and another future guest, uh, Francois Abanda of Canada. I really liked her uh, court composure stuff. She played very well. Um, uh, won a match one and one. In fact, uh, she had uh, in her uh, quarterfinal and the match and the round before, she had won. Uh, she'd only dropped three games in two matches, so she had been 24 and three in games played and uh, did actually lose in the semifinal the very next day. But Francois Banda is someone uh, who again is going to be playing. Has played some Fed Cup for Canada. Will play for Fed Cup. I think Jeannie Bouchard is not going to play. So, uh, you know, I was talking to Simon LaRose, her coach from Tennis Canada. Uh, they're going to be hosting Romania and Fed Cup coming up. I believe Holop will be there. And uh, Francois Banda may very well get a chance to uh, to play against Holop in, uh, in Montreal when they play. But I really liked uh, Francois Banda. Uh, all, just about everything about her game. I thought her serve needs some work. But... Uh, yeah, I think she just turned 18 in February, so uh, plenty of time uh, for Coach LaRose to work on that. And uh, But everything about her game, her, her court demeanor, her composure, very, very solid from Francois Banda. And, and again, I did see uh, Maria Sanchez uh, play as well that day. She did lose in the semifinals. Uh, they were doubles champions, by the way, but uh, lost in the semis there. But Nice to see uh, professional tennis here in the Phoenix area. Surprise is northwest of Phoenix. And uh, I should make mention, you know, this is a tournament that Yanina Wickmeyer had won uh, a few years ago uh, when, uh, before she made her run to the U.S. Open uh, semis. But uh, it's a $25,000 tournament, and uh, you get to see a lot of players play. Um, Vitasova was a late scratch in this tournament, but uh, you see a lot of players on their way up and, and some veterans who are uh, – like Arvidsson, scrambling to get back on uh, in main tour draws. You know, I used to, I mean, I lived in a couple different countries, and, and New Zealand's the place I lived at, which was the only place that actually had tennis I could see. And so, you know, I did go to the Auckland tournaments, um, the ASB Classic and the Heineken Open, I think five or six years in a row. But, you know, being in the U.S., there are so many of these these level of tournaments and you know there's never a huge crowds there and um but you you're right you do get a chance to see 
players who maybe are on the comeback trail or they've been injured or, you know, really, you know, great young players who may end up being number one in the world. And so um, as much as I love going to, you know, big tournaments and grand slams, there is always something I love about a smaller tournament. And I'm hoping to make it to, you know, a challenger or one of these ITF events um, in the next year or so, because it's, it is, it is such an intimate setting and you really do get a chance to, to uh, kind of without the fanfare of some of the bigger events, really kind of just focus on the tennis and really get an idea about some of these players. So, um, yeah, Band is someone. I'm mean, looking forward to talking to her when we get that scheduled. Um, but, you know, she, you know, yeah. in Montreal last year got a little bit of attention on her. I mean, there's not that many Canadian women. Um, you know, obviously Bouchard is certainly someone who's been talked about for a little while. But, you know, great potential for them if a Banda kind of, you know, gets her potential realized and so she is an exciting one to uh to keep an eye on as well so glad you were able to get there and watch some live tennis yeah and, and just uh as i mentioned the uh, it was a fifty thousand dollar challenger in phoenix the first two years and then it became a 75 i'm just going to i'm going to look at the top 100 stuff and just let you know some of the players that came through phoenix uh back in mm-hmm. the day uh, number seven current number seven Jeannie bouchard we had current number 19, Madison Keys. Number, let's see, 29, Vivara Lepchenko. Number 30, Caroline Garcia. Number 32, Camilla Georgi. Number 35, Coco Vandaway. Number 41, Sloan Stevens. 42, Heather Watson. 43, Allison Risky. 44, Madison Brangle. 47, Isla Tomljanovic. Uh, 51, Monica Puig. 53, Christina McHale. 55, Lauren Davis. Uh, let's see here. Uh, 70, Mariana Lucic. 80, Shelby Rogers. 86, Nicole Gibbs. 88, Chanel Scapers. 95, Taylor Townsend. And, uh, you know, that that's an impressive list to... Uh, I had a one-on-one interview with Jeannie Bouchard in, in November of 2012, and, you know, 14 months later, she's in the semifinals of the Australian Open. So that that was pretty cool to be able to see uh, players like Jeannie so up close. You know, as you mentioned, not too many people go. You know, there were 50 or 70 people there watching the uh, the doubles final that she competed in that year. So, uh, again, uh, nice to have the access. And uh, it is professional tennis, and as I mentioned, these, these names, these were – very, uh, you know, fans could go out and watch uh, a match uh, and, and have access to the players at, at a place like Phoenix and, and can at Surprise. And, you know, before we wrap up, one last point, uh, Steph. Um, Dominika Sbolkova, who obviously got to the Australian Open final last year, and, and uh, Bellis, as I mentioned, I saw her play in Surprise uh, last week. She beat uh, Sbolkova in, in the U.S. Open last year. But uh, interesting uh, she's got an Achilles injury and mentioned that she is not going to have surgery until the U.S. Open. Just want to, uh, before we wrap up, just get your thoughts. Uh, it seems that this looks like a painful injury. I'm not sure how anyone uh, can play professional tennis against uh, some of these draws that we've talked about and, and delay surgery until September. Your, your thoughts on uh, Sabolkova? Yeah, well, I saw a tweet yesterday, and I, I read through, you know, I don't often go to player websites because it seems like, most information you find out about them is probably through Twitter or the WTA. But, you know, some players do actually 
put notes and, and, you know, blog entries, what have you, on their website. And so Dami's website, I'm sure I've never probably been on it, but she wrote about how she plans to have an operation at the U.S. Open. She basically said there's for three years she's been having trouble with her Achilles tendon. She did um, have, you know, the injury. I think she might have re kind of hurt it during her match against Petkovic in Antwerp, and then she pulled out of Dubai um, because of that and, and Doha. But she's rehabbing, and she basically admitted that she's in she has chronic pain that is a chronic problem. Um, and that, you know, if she moves certain ways, what for other people doesn't affect them, she actually gets hurt by it. And, you know, she is the pocket rocket. She is very small. So movement is such a key part of her game. And so I was really surprised to read that she is ha- that she's in chronic pain for this, um, but that she's choosing to wait and basically play the entire season and then go for the arthroscopic surgery after the U.S. Open. Um, you know, she says it'll take two or three months before she'd be able to come back. And she's basically, like, admitted if she has a shot for the WCA championship, she'll rearrange and plan for that. So, um, you know, I feel like, I don't know if Dami's, I feel like she's around 26. I'm completely pulling that out of my head. But, you know, she's certainly not the end of her career at the beginning, and and I'm just kind of questioning the decision-making. If she is in that kind of pain, to delay it for such a long time, um, you know, I don't know if it means she's going to scale back during, you know, the clay season, I mean, that's where she made her, her first, uh, you know, Grand Slam semifinal, um, and I won't remember the year, of course, off the top of my head, but, uh, you know, she definitely could play on clay, so I was just a little bit concerned um, to kind of read. I mean, obviously, we, we don't want your players to be playing through, you know, extreme pain. I mean, all of them will have niggles and what have you at certain, you know, parts of their body all the time, but um, a little bit disappointed and, and hopefully, um, you know, she is going to be able to hold up okay, and you know we can always judge the you know judge everyone's decisions. But this is obviously what she and her team have decided is best for her. So a little bit concerning, um, you know, Achilles doesn't seem like a, an area you want to really mess with. Um, but this mm-hmm. is what she's kind of choosing to do, and I suppose she'll do what she can to uh, to be healthy. But you know, she had uh, a year ago. I went to Miami, and that's where she. I think by beating Venus in the match they played, she clinched her, you know, debut in the top ten. So I suppose she thinks that she's still kind of in contention to be, you know, a top ten, top fifteen player to, to make Singapore. That she really wants to try and do everything she can um, to to get there. So good luck to her. But I'll certainly watch her with a little bit of my eyes half closed in case she, you know, really is in pain because I don't like watching that in, in players at all. So that's a little bit tricky. And have you heard an update we have on uh, Laura Robson and Jamie Hampton? Did you catch that news this week? Uh, no, I, um, I I haven't. I, I'm aware that they're on the shelf. And interestingly enough, uh, when I went to the surprise uh, event, I was able to talk to Kevin Neal, who is coaching uh, Maria Sanchez uh, currently, and he actually – uh, was he, he coached Jamie Hampton for a while there, so I was I, I, I had talked to Jamie as well at the uh, at the Phoenix Challenger when we had it back in the day. So I was talking to Kevin a little bit about about Jamie, but no, I, I did uh, I did see something that Robson uh, didn't sign up for one of the tournaments. I think one of the uh, the challengers and uh, missed a deadline or, or just decided not to, and that. Uh, People were scratching their heads on that one, uh, wondering, you know, what that meant. Is she still going to be on the shelf for a while? So, no, I, I just know that they're, uh, you know, that they're on the shelf, but I don't have any further updates on this at this point. 
Yeah, well, Matt Cronin, um, who you know is a very, very in the know uh, tennis writer, did just wrote a, a short update on Tennis. dot com website this week, and um, you know Laura Robson has had very bad wrist in- injuries, and she had surgery last June, and I had thought she was going to be back by Indian Wells. Um, but apparently she doesn't know when she's going to be returning. And, you know, you think about Robson and, you know, remember she made the fourth round at Wimbledon. You know, she had a great upset of Kim Kleisers and Lee Knott at the U.S. Open in 2013, right. I think. Yeah. You know, and she cracked the top 30 and, you know, it was a very exciting player. And, um, you know, she is only 21 years old, but, you know, every time you hear wrist injuries, I always think of people like Del Potro and, you know, even Venus early in her career was struggling with wrist problems. And um, it's just a little bit concerning that, you know, Robson's been out a full year now. She only played two matches in early, um, you know, 2014, which I don't think she should have played either. I think she was obviously in a lot of pain. Um, but it's really sad. I do hope that she can kind of uh, – you know, get back on track and, and rejoin us. But, you know, her other partner in crime on the sidelines right now is Jamie Hampton, who is someone I was really enjoying watching. Yeah. Um, she played in Auckland. I got to watch her there last year. She made the semifinals in Auckland and was supposed to play Venus and ended up withdrawing, and she hasn't played since. And I think she's had a couple surgeries on oh. her hip. Um, you know, she she's one of those players. She's not, you know, she's 25 now. She wasn't, you know, it's not like she was, having these good successes when she was super young, but she was someone who was really starting to get really comfortable, it seemed like, with her game and in big moments. And um, I just really enjoyed watching her. I, I saw her in Eastbourne in 2013. I watched her beat Radwanska in a really good match. And, uh, you know, she also doesn't know when she's going to be back. And, you know, she cracked the top 30 as well. She was 28 to end 2013. So, you know, to have both these players basically been out for over a year now, um when both of them were, you know, to me, exciting players, you know, great for British tennis to have Robson doing well. And, uh, you know, it's it's just another reminder, you know, these, these athletes go through such a grind to be healthy on the court. And, you know, we're just talking about Sabolkova, someone who, you know, obviously is playing through a, a good degree of pain. Um, and you can understand, I mean, this is their, their livelihood and, um, you know, health is of the essence, and you hope they make good decisions. So I'm just hoping that Robson and Hampton are both just being really, really cautious and listening to their bodies and just feeling like they don't want to come back until they are, you know, really 100% healthy and ready to commit and hopefully, um, you know, kind of get back on track because both of them were in a very good position um, when they when they both uh, basically had to had to stop playing. So I wish them both well and hope that we'll see them soon someday again <laughs> there were like these you know talented no, I players agree. <laughs> well i agree and you know just you mentioned del potro earlier in the in the podcast uh with respect to uh you know the late challenges and whatnot i i remember delpo uh you know he he actually had to retire in a singles match uh due to an injury and, and very strangely did follow through and play his doubles match the next day and and Everybody really was wondering what's going on, and, and, and you know, consensus was that added uh, extra time on the shelf for him. So, you know, yes, as you mentioned, uh, unfortunate that uh, Laura Robson, Jamie Hampton are, are not playing and, and uh, are still on the shelf. But at the same point in time, let's let the body heal uh, the way it needs to. Hopefully, they'll be back. But uh, at the same point, uh, 
we don't like to see anybody hitting the fast forward button and, and coming back sooner than later or trying to press things into action. And um, right before we close, Steph, I know you're going to be heading out to Indian Wells. I'm going to be there for, I believe, uh, between two and four days. But uh, what's your timetable to be at Indian Wells? Just curious on that. I'm going to be there from the 10th through the 20th, and it's negative two degrees right now where I am, and so I am counting down the days until I'm in 80-degree weather. Um, I will be there for the, the Tuesday, the 10th, of the, so there will be qualifying, and I believe the men's draw that day. Um, so I'll hopefully be there through um, part of the semifinals, I guess. So very really looking forward to that, and, uh, you know, should be a pretty intriguing year considering Serena's back, and just lots of great stories on the WTA as well. I know that's going to really overwhelm the headlines and the intrigue at, at first, but I do think that um, there's just so many compelling storylines and so many amazing players um, who are having great starts of the year. I'm just so excited for Indian Wells. It's going to be amazing. I agree. I, I'm going to arrive there uh, the night of the 15th. I'll be there at least uh, 16th, possibly 17, 18. It depends on a few things, but uh, – one of the best, they actually just won the, I think, the best uh, tournament. Uh, on the ATP, they have the best uh, 1,500 and 250, and Indian Wells won the uh, the best 1,000 for uh, for last year. No surprise to anyone who's ever attended Indian Wells. Mm. Incredible event. Uh, and as Steph mentioned, 80-plus uh, degree weather uh, during the daytime, just gorgeous. And, uh, Steph, before we sign off, uh, we talked about quite a bit uh action on going on this week as well as last week. Any any final closing thoughts before we sign off tonight? Nope. Just seeing the score, we've got uh, Bazinski is into the semifinals. Uh, she's one in three sets, so she will play the winner of Sharapova Ryberakova, which is uh, a set to the good for Maria and on serve in the second. So, um, Good luck to all those. I'm not going to bother tuning in for Acapulco, but look forward to the Doha matches tomorrow, 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern time. Um, or, sorry, 10 a.m. Eastern time is the uh, Azarenka-Venus match, which I will hopefully be up for. But, uh, nope, looking forward to seeing how Doha works out. Absolutely, completely agree. And uh, all the good health to the ladies. We mentioned a number of retirements in qualifying and main draw Doha, and uh, hope everybody is, stays healthy, no more retirements, and obviously those players that are not in action, uh, nursing injuries, we wish you the best of health going forward. So on behalf of Stephanie Neppel, this is Pete Zebron saying good night, God bless, another edition of Passing Shots on the Pro 10 Radio Network. We will see you next Monday night. Good night.